Oh, come on, you can do better than that. If you're glad to be here, clap your hands and shout amen. Amen and amen. Is there, is there anyone in this place that's absolutely head over heels in love with Jesus? I, I, am, I, am, head, I am head over heels in love with him this morning. It was 32 years ago in a jail cell. My life was bound. My life was addicted. My life was tormented. And he came into a jail cell and he washed my sins away. He wrote my name. He wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I, and I have found in the last 32 years since then that every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. For Jesus saves and he keeps me. Is he keeping anybody this morning? And he's the one I'm looking for. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. The psalmist said it like this in the 116th Psalm. He said, I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call upon his name as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. And I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Has anybody ever been there? But then I called upon the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, save me. He said, God is righteous and God is gracious. The Lord is full of compassion. He protects the simple-hearted. I was in great need, and he saved me. Be at rest once more, O oh my soul, for the Lord hath been good to you. Listen to his next words. For you, O oh Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. Did you hear? Did you hear what the psalmist said? The Lord had done for him. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death. For you, O Lord, have delivered my eyes from tears. And for you, O Lord, have delivered my feet from stumbling. Now, why does God deliver your soul from death? Why does God deliver your eyes from tears? And why does God deliver your feet from stumbling? Listen to the next verse, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And because he's done all of these great things for me, and because he's done all of these great things for you, we are to love, bless, and honor his name. And I'm glad that you've come to church this morning. I'm glad that I've got the privilege to be here with you. And I'm looking forward to God touching us in this house. One more time, would you put your hands together? and bless the wonderful name of Jesus. Now, now, now listen, I, your pastor expressed the awkwardness of this day, and I, I understand that because in a few weeks I'll be sitting on the front row of my church feeling awkward as, 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 they, as they take the service away from me and as they, they invite people to come and talk about me. And I, I, I feel the same way about this day as he does, but this is a good day in the church. This is a needed day in the church, and, and oftentimes pastors will get invited to come to a church on a day like I'm here for today, and they will allow their desire to preach to new faces. It, it's fun to preach to new faces. 
I mean, when, when, you've been, when you've been preaching to the same faces for 21 years, it's good to see a new face. I, 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 pastored in one, I pastored in one community for 20 years just outside of Dallas, Texas. And there was, a, there was a young lady that had come to that church. She'd never been involved in a Pentecostal church. She'd, she'd never been involved in, in charismatic church services. And she'd only been involved with, with churches that were filled with ritual and rules and tradition. And she just fell in love with our church. And, and one Sunday, she, was, she, she had to get up and go outside for a moment. And she was coming back in. And as she came back in, three or four of my pastor's council members, my deacons, were, were sitting in the church foyer, and they were talking to one another, sitting on a couch while service was going on. Now, these are good men. These are, these are godly men. If they were there, they were there for a reason. They were probably planning a pastor appreciation day. They, they, they were probably talking about buying me a new car. They were probably talking about doing something good for the preacher. But she just saw them there, and she heard me preaching and righteous indignation went all over her and she went to my three deacons and she started rebuking them she said how dare you men sit in this foyer drinking coffee casually talking while the preacher is preaching prophesying and praying in that building you ought to be ashamed of yourself and you ought to get in that house now one of those deacons sitting there was named Dor Brown Dor Brown has been a member of that church for 20 years. He came the second week of that church's existence. And Brother Brown is like a dad to me. And Brother Brown looked at her and he said, Ma'am, settle down just a little bit. He said, I know that you're new around here. And I know you've never heard any preacher that can preach like my preacher. I know that he's speaking life to you and it's just revolutionizing your existence. I know that he's quoting scriptures to you that you've never heard before. And, and that you get chills that run up and down your back when he preaches the gospel of Jesus. He said, but ma'am, I've been listening to him preach for 20 years. I've heard everything he knows four times. And so it's okay that I'm out here. When, when you preach to the same people for 20 years, sometimes it's good to see new faces in the building. And, and if not careful, a pastor can be invited to a church like I'm invited to your church today and be here for a special day, but allow his desire to preach to new faces to distract him from the purpose of him being there and the assignment given him by God and the leadership of the church. So let me just say from the very beginning, I am not here to preach today. That, 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 that's not my, now, now, now I am a preacher. And because I am a preacher, I just preach. It comes out. I mean, if you, if you, if you bump a glass of iced tea, Coca-Cola doesn't come out. Because what's on the inside comes out. If you're constantly having to go apologizing to somebody because every time they bump you, you act in a way you shouldn't act. Listen, when you get bumped, whatever on the inside comes out, oh, somebody shout amen. So, so, and I'm a preacher, and there's preach inside of me, and, and it will come out. But that's not why I'm here today. I'm not here to preach to you now. I, I wish I could. I, the last time I came, I was under the same assignment. I was here for Pastor Appreciation Day four years ago. I'd like to come one time with just the assignment to preach. If, if I'd come one time with just the assignment to preach, you, you, you know what I'd tell you? I'd tell you there's no God like your God. Do you believe that today? 
do you, do you really believe there's no God like our God? Listen, we, we say there's none above him, but do you realize that not only is there none above him, there's none beside him? He stands alone this morning in the solitude of himself. There is none to whom he can be compared. He is unequaled. He is unmatched. He is peerless, and there is none like him. If you believe that, shout amen today. If, 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 you, if you're one of these people that believe that, that other gods are as good as your God. You, you need to go read a little narrative in the Old Testament where the Ark of the Covenant has been captured by the Philistines. And the Bible said that the, the, the priest of Dagon, Dagon was the, was the God of the Philistines. And the Bible said that they took the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of our God's presence, and they took it to the house of Dagon, their God, and they laid the Ark of the Covenant at the feet of their God, Dagon. Here's what they were saying. They were saying, your God's no better than our God. They were saying there's other ways to God besides Jehovah. There's other ways to heaven besides Emmanuel. And our God is just as good as your God. But the Bible said on the morrow, when the priest of Dagon arose from their slumber, they went to the house of Dagon, and they found that their God had fallen from his place, hanging on the wall, and was now laying prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant. Now listen, so, so their God prostrated himself in the presence of the symbol of our God. Now let me ask you this. Have you ever seen anyone? I know, I know this doesn't happen in West Virginia, but it happens in Cleveland, Tennessee. Have you ever seen anyone do something? something and thought to yourself that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life some of you are looking at your spouse right now from something that happened this morning before you came to church and 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 I promise you you've never seen anything as dumb as what takes place in this text the Bible says that the priest of Dagon went to their God and they picked him up they dusted him off, and they put him back in his place. I'm not here to preach, but if I were, <laughs> hello, <laughs> if I were here to preach, you know what I'd tell you? I'd tell you your God has never one time needed anybody to pick him up. I tell you that your God has never one time needed anybody to dust him off. I tell you that your God has never one time needed anybody to put him back in his place. But on the contrary, when you fall and when you fall and when I fall and when we fall, our God comes to us and he picks us up. Somebody, somebody ought to help me this morning. He dusts us off and he... Mm -hmm. If I were here to preach, I'd tell you your God is a healer. Does anybody believe he's a healer? Oh, if I, 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 I can't tell you this because I'm not here to preach. But if I was here to preach, I'd tell you that your God is a healer. That Isaiah the prophet said he was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement that brings you peace was thrust upon him and with his stripes. Does any, is anybody thankful for his stripes? And with his stripes, 
You, if, I, if I were here to preach, I'd tell you, not only is he a healer, but he's a deliverer. John 8 and 36, he who the Son sets free, that man is free indeed. If I were here to preach, I'd tell you he's a great provider. Does anybody know him as Jehovah Jireh this morning? Philippians 4 19, and my God shall supply your every need according to his riches through Christ Jesus. He is a provider today. If, if I were here to preach, I would tell you if you're struggling with fear, I've been pastoring for 30 years almost, and I've never seen fear grip the heart of saints the way it has in the last three years. If I were here to preach, I'd tell you if your life has been paralyzed, by anxiety, by worry, by depression and fear that Paul writing to Timothy said God has not given you a spirit of fear but of love and of power and of sound mind. I, if I were here to preach, I'd tell you that Isaiah the prophet said he'll give you beauty for ashes. He'll give you the oil of joy for mourning. He'll give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He'll make you the planning of the Lord if I were here to preach. But that's not what I'm here to do. What are you here to do, Brother Lipsy, if you're not here to preach? I'm here to help you. I'm here to lead you. I'm here to encourage you to participate in a scriptural act of honoring your pastor. That's what, that's, that's, that's what we're here to do. Now, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5 and 17, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Somebody say double for your trouble. Let, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. Now, now I am a friend of your pastor, but I am a friend who lives at a distance. What I know of him from my relationship as a friend who lives at a distance says to me that he is the man that Paul is referring to in Timothy's writings as he says, he who labors in the word and in doctrine is worthy of double honor. But you know him better than I know him. You, you live in the same city with him. You worship in the same building with him. You sit in the pew Sunday after Sunday while he preaches that there's no God like your God. God is a healer. God is a deliverer. God is a provider. God's a restorer of broken down roles. And God is a God that will give you beauty for ashes. So let me just ask you, the church today, if you believe that your pastor and his wife, and I'm telling you, he married way over his head. If, if you believe that your pastor 
and his wife, the first lady of this house, are worthy of double honor, worthy of high esteem, worthy of thanks, and worthy of appreciation. Would you just take about 30 seconds and put your hands together and let your past, they're standing up, I didn't ask, they're standing up, let your past, make him uncomfortable, make him feel bad, make him squirm in his seat today. Ah, make him uncomfortable. Mm. Honor is something that many in this generation seem to be losing the desire and thereby the capacity to give. I want you to let that statement marinate for a moment. Honor is something that many in this generation seem to be losing the desire and because they have lost the desire, they have now evolved to the place where they have lost the capacity to give honor. Heard a story just a few weeks ago about a family who were at the beach and they said that a storm hit that beach and the wind was blowing and the rain was coming down sideways and the thunder was clapping and the lightning were flashing and, and, and they were sitting in their living room of that condo and they were watching the storm roll through that beach and, and they were watching the rain and they were hearing the claps of thunder and all of a sudden they saw a figure an image running out on the beach. And, and the husband said to the wife, there's, there's someone out there on the beach. What are they doing? And they, and they watched him with, with interest. And they watched him with intrigue. And, and it turned out that there was a flagpole on that beach that had a flag of the United States of America flying at full mass and at full height. And the wind was ripping it. And the rain was pelting it. And the storm was tearing it. And, and they said this man ran through the storm and he got to that flagpole and he stopped and he saluted the flag in, in the midst of the storm. And, and when he finished saluting the flag, he began to bring the flag down from its high position. When, when he, he thought, well, it's, it's good that he's doing that, but surely he's just going to grab it and run inside so he doesn't get struck by lightning. Surely he's just going to grab it and run in the house and fold it there. But he said in the middle of the storm, Storm, the man did not let the flag touch the ground, but the man carefully and precisely began to fold the flag, and it became clear to the family watching that this had to be a military veteran, and the family watching said they had never quite seen such honor. Hear me today. Many people in our generation are losing the desire and thereby the capacity to give and show honor. Now, I don't know how you were raised, but I know how I was raised. And, and when I was a boy growing up, if, if we went to a football game and the national anthem began to play, 
and you were moving through the crowd and you did not stop dead in your tracks, my daddy would help you stop. Now, now, now I, I met your pastor's son this morning and, and, and I said, man, he's, he's, he's bigger than you. And, and, and Alba said, yeah, I was, I was bigger than my daddy. I said, well, my daddy was six foot four, 275 pounds. I don't know what happened to me. But, but, but my daddy was six foot four, 275 pounds. And if you didn't stop your left foot from landing in front of your right foot, when that anthem started playing, my daddy would help you stop and give honor. If you didn't remove your hat, he would take your hat off for you. He would hand it to you and say, doesn't that feel better? I mean, if you're going to rebuke me, try to make me feel good about it. My, I mean, he, he, would, he would help you learn how to honor. Now, now, my dad did not do that. Listen to me. Hear me. My, my dad did not help you stop in your tracks, and my dad did not help you take your hat off of your head, and my dad did not help you put your hand on your heart because he believed that the flag and the anthem represented a country that was perfect. My daddy understood this country is far from perfect. My daddy understood that this country that we live in is stained by sin just like every other country on the planet. My daddy understood that this country that we live in had then and still has today major problems that it's facing. My daddy understood that the past of this country is marked by the stench of slavery. My daddy understood that in the country that he lived in 35 and 40 years ago, racism was present. It was, it was abounding. It was everywhere. And that for many, life was not fair. That was true then. And it's still true today. But my daddy said, honor is not given because a country is perfect. Honor is given because men and women, sons and daughters, rich and poor, young and old, white, black, brown, Spanish, English speaking, have paid the ultimate cost by laying their life on the altar of freedom and that deserves honor. Now, now, now listen. Now, now you listen to me. You listen to me. I am afraid that the way many in our secular society are now saying that our flag and our anthem and our nation does not deserve honor because it is not perfect that many in the church have decided the ministry no longer deserves honor because the ministry is not perfect. You listen. You are correct that the ministry is not perfect. Ministers are fragile. Ministers are human. Ministers are subject to the same temptation as are you. Ministers are not perfect. But you had better not allow the humanity of ministry 
to cause you to adopt the philosophy and an idea that they that labor in the word and in prayer are not worthy of double honor. Because while the minister is fallible, the scripture is infallible. While the minister is fragile, the scripture shall never return void but prosper ever place to where it is sent. And the scripture declared, they that labor in the word and in prayer. Are, don't you let the spirit of Korah creep in on you. Oh, Korah looked at Moses and he said, hey, you're not the only one that's anointed. Have you heard me sing? Have you heard me pray? Everybody is anointed. And I'm afraid many in the church have gotten the idea that, that there is no distinction between the pastor and the people. Now, now you don't have to be around me long. You don't have to know much about my life to know that I'm a man of the people. I'm not a mysterious minister. You know, some preachers, they, they, they hide in the back until the music hits a crescendo. And then they come out, surprise the people. They got to have armor bearers. Listen, listen, I've seen preachers that feel like they need an armor bearer to wipe the sweat off their head when they're preaching. I can wipe my own sweat, thank you very much. I've, I've, been to, I've been to churches that when I pulled up in the parking lot, armor bearers met me in the parking lot, opening my car door, wanting to carry my Bible. I said, get your own Bible, boy. That's my Bible. Get your hands off that book. I'm a man of the pit. But hear me. There is a distinction between the pastor and the people. And, and, and the spirit of Korah, has crept in that said we, we we don't really have to honor the man of God. Now, now I, I was I was sitting at my desk at 4:30 this morning in the hotel, working this message, writing it. It's not something I've preached before. It's handwritten this morning, hot off the press, for this house. And I finished writing this, and I finished thinking about Okora that said there's nothing special about the ministry. I, I then changed my clothes and put my running clothes on, and I ran down to the gym. And, and I got on the, I walked in the, the gym at the hotel, and there was a guy on the treadmill beside me walking. Now, now, now I'm, I'm not a walker. I'm a, I'm, I'm a runner. I'm a, I've run more marathons than I can count. I've competed in two full Ironman events. If you don't know what an Ironman event is, that means I swim two and a half miles. I bike 112 miles and I run 26.2 miles. I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. And, and, and I get on the treadmill, and I start running, and the guy beside me, I should have knew, have you ever, have you ever had anyone just open their mouth for the first time ever? And it didn't take you more than one sentence to know you were talking to a total moron. I should have realized, I should have realized at the onset of this conversation that that was the occasion. Here was his opening statement to me. 
You from here? I'm in a hotel. At 5.30 in the morning, in the gym, oh yeah, I live two blocks away in my home where my bed is and my gorgeous smoking hot wife, but I have chose to come and spend the night at the Best Western and get up at 5.30 in the morning and I should have knew from the opening, you from around here. I, I, I'm not a talker when I run. I don't run slow. I run fast. You know, if you're walking, you can walk and talk. If, you, if you're running seven minutes, six and a half minute places for, for 20 miles, you, you, you need to consider. So I, I don't want to talk to somebody. So I just, I answer his question. You from right here? No. He said, you're here for work? I said, kind of. He said, what kind of work you do? I said, I'm a preacher. And I'm a pastor from another town and state, and I'm here to honor a pastor friend of mine today at a pastor appreciation service. He said, let me tell you the problem with American preachers. That's what I said. And I mean, he went off on a tangent. The spirit of Korah was all over him. I mean, he hated every preacher that had ever walked the face of the earth. Preachers were all about money. Preachers were cheating on their wives. Preachers were falling at every hand. And he's giving me the rundown, and I mean, I'm on that treadmill, and I'm, I'm going, I mean, he's, I mean, I'm getting after it. He's talking to me, and I'm just letting him talk because I don't like what I'm hearing, but I don't have time to talk back to him. And, I mean, he's telling me pre there's not a righteous preacher left in the country. He starts telling me about the 12 seals and the 14 locks and the 18 keys that you got to have to get out of this dilemma that the church is in. Finally, I got enough. I slowed it down. And I said, sir, I don't know what preacher failed you. And I don't know what church dropped you. And I don't know what the situations were that wounded you, that made you so church hurt and so church bitter. But you are wrong by saying every preacher is sorry. And every preacher is money hungry. And every preacher is cheating on their wife. I said for every one preacher you know that has bowed their knee and given in to the gods of this world, I can name you a thousand preachers today who love Jesus Christ with all of their heart and will go stand behind the pulpit and preach Jesus is holy and Jesus is righteous and Jesus is true. And I mean, I'm trying to be kind to him even though he is getting on my everlasting nerve. When I finished explaining that not every preacher is that way, he didn't want to hear it. And he took off with his opinions again. And I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just start quoting scripture at him. I'm a scriptorian. I've got tons of Bible verses committed to memory. I mean, I'm just quoting, 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 quoting. I said, you know what? You don't need to hear my opinion. Let me give you the word of the Lord. 
And I said, there is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not at the flesh but at the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded that is death, but to be... I mean, I was quoting as many verses as fast as I could while I was running a six and a half minute pace. And he kept interrupting me. And I stopped my pace again. And I said, see, here's the problem. You want to give me your opinion, even if it means silencing the very word of God. Listen to me, church. We are to honor the ministry. We, 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 here's the scripture. They that labor in the word and in prayer, they are worthy of double honor. Very quickly this morning, I, I want to share with you three things that you need to embrace if you're going to become everything that God intends for you to be. Let, let, let me ask you this. Who, who wants to become everything God intends for you to be? I, I do. I, I don't want to be less than God intends for me to be. Miles My, Monroe, he's in heaven now. But he was one of my favorite preachers and one of my favorite authors. And Miles Monroe said this. He said, the wealthiest deposits on planet earth... Do not lie in the oil fields of Iraq or Saudi Arabia or in the uranium mines of Russia or in the diamond mines of South Africa. But the wealthiest deposits on planet Earth lie just a few blocks from your home and my home in our local graveyards and cemeteries. He said buried beneath the soil within the sacred walls of those grounds are dreams that never came to pass, visions that never became reality, ideas that never went past the drawing board of the mind. Buried beneath the soil within the sacred walls of those grounds are messages that were never preached, books that were never written, songs that were never sung, ministries that were never lost. Listen to his words. Buried beneath the soil within the sacred walls of those grounds is potential that remained potential. Did you hear that? Buried beneath the soil within the sacred walls of those grounds is potential that remained potential, and that is the greatest tragedy known to man. You see, inside of each one of you, there is potential. There is promise. There is possibility. There is power. There is unused success. And if you do not tap into that, and you do not fulfill that potential, you are cheating your spouse, you are cheating your family, you are cheating the church world, you are cheating your circle of influence, and if you die and take your potential to the grave, you have cheated everybody that's ever known you. You see, you've got to want to live your life to the point that when you die, you die empty. Now, that's backwards to our secular thinking. We want to die full. Listen, you, you really don't want to die full. You want to die empty. Well, well what do you mean, Brother Lipsy? You want to die empty. You want to die knowing that when you die, you've done everything you were supposed to do. You, you've went everywhere you were supposed to go. You've become everything you were created to be. L listen to the words of the chief apostle Paul. The, the chief apostle Paul says this at one place in his life. 
He says, I find myself caught between two desires. The desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And the desire to stay and minister to you, which is more needful. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I'm ready to check out. I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm ready to let my faith end in sight. I'm ready to enter eternity, but there's still some stuff inside of me that has not come out yet. There's some sermons that haven't been preached. There's some letters that haven't been written. There's some missionary voyages that have not been taken. So even though I want to go, i got to stay because I got some stuff left inside of me. Keep following his life and you'll hear him say this. I have fought a good fight. I have kept my faith. I have finished my course. Do you see the difference in the two places that he was? At one point he was saying I got stuff left to do but now he's saying I, I can die empty. So, so you need you need to fulfill your destiny. Three things you need to embrace if you're going to fulfill your destiny. The plan of God, the house of God, and the man of God. Everybody say the plan of God. Now, I told you I wouldn't here to preach, but I'm convinced in order to get you where I need to get you at the close of this service, and just so none of you would think I snuck up on you, let me tell you where, I'm, where I want to get you at the close of this service. It is my goal to get every one of you at the close of this service to the point that you are ready to give the largest, most significant offering this church has ever given to this ministry couple that has served you for 21 years years I don't, I don't have you there yet I don't, I don't have them where I want them but that's okay I got some preaching to do I got, I, I got work to do and I don't mind putting in the work that's Holy Ghost spit don't worry about it listen so that's, that's where I'm trying to get you to the point where you, where you give this ministry couple the, the largest most significant offering that you've ever given them. Now, now, give me a little hope and give me a little faith that I can get there. How many believe we can do that today? Wave at me. Clap your hands. If, okay, okay, now. Don't be like the guy on the treadmill. Help me, don't hurt me. <laughs> so I'm convinced in order to get you there, I do need to do a little bit of preaching to you. I, I need to minister to, 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 I'm here to minister to them, but I need to minister to you to get you to help me minister to them. So here's how I'm going to minister to you. Point one, the plan of God. You listen to this preacher. God has a plan for your life. You, if you feel stuck, if you feel like you are trapped, there's a sign on an Alaskan highway that says this. It's real. It's there. I've seen it. It says, choose your rut carefully. Because you're going to be in it for the next 200 miles. How many of you feel like you've been on that road somewhere in life? I've been, I've been on that road sometimes and couldn't find the exit. I've been on that road sometimes and couldn't find how to get out of it. I was in a rut. 
I was spinning my wheels. I couldn't gain traction. Nothing was going my way. God's law says I'm blessed in the field and the city. I'm the head and not the tail. But instead of God's law, it looked like Murphy's law was working. Somebody tell me what Murphy's law says. If anything can go wrong, it will. Have you ever thought Murphy's law was dominating your life instead of God's law? If you're there today, I've come by to tell you God has a plan for you. God knows where you are. He sees you when you wake up and he sees you when you lay down. He cares for you. Everybody in this building, if you've been in church more than 10 times in your life, if you've opened your Bible more than 20 times in your life, you can quote Jeremiah 29 and 11. It says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, declares the Lord, thoughts to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and to give you a future. You listen to me today. God has a plan for your life. Brother Lipsy, nobody, nobody's thinking about me. Nobody cares about my plight. Nobody is making plans for me to prosper. You're here today to, to, to make us think about the pastor, and that's good. Somebody will be at your church in six or seven weeks to make your church think about you, and that's good. I'm glad. I'm happy for you. But nobody's thinking about me. Pastor, I, I feel like I'm on an island. I feel like I'm isolated. I feel like nobody cares and nobody's willing to help, and I just need somebody to believe in me. I just need somebody to come along and give me a hand. I just need somebody to tell me I'm not forgotten and I'm not alone. You listen to me. The word of the Lord says I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Listen, we like it when people are thinking about us. It blesses us if people say I've been, I've been thinking about you. If, if, if your mama says I've been thinking. Listen, this isn't your mama that's thinking about you. This, this isn't your pastor that's thinking about you. This isn't the guest preacher that's thinking about you. This isn't the deacon board that's thinking about you. I know the thoughts that I think towards you declares the Lord. Thoughts to prosper you. And listen, this is he who holds the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand and he's thinking about you. This is he whose word causes the stars of heaven to stay suspended in their place and he's thinking about you. This is he who strolls on the beaches of the globe and looks at the waters and says hitherto shall you come but no further and here shall your proud waves be stayed and that God in all of his might and his glory and his holiness is thinking about you today. He cares for you. You're not alone and you're going to make it. Well, preacher, preacher, if God really cared for me, I wouldn't be surrounded by the plight that I am surrounded by. Who told you that? You've been listening to the guy on the treadmill. you gotta, you, you got to start listening to the right people. Who told you that if God cared for you, you'd never have a bad day? Who told you that if God cared for you, you'd plant a garden and it would produce roses that didn't have thorns on them? Who told you that? I tell you who didn't tell you that. The Lord never said it. The, the Bible says it rains on. Let, let, let me put that in, 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 in Ed Lipsy. Translation, it rains on everybody. 
The just, all you folks went King James on me, boy. The just and the unjust. And I mean, y'all, I mean, y'all said it with preacher voices too. I mean, I mean, y'all didn't say it with layperson voices. You know, the just and the the just and the unjust. Preacher voice came in this house, boy. I can tell y'all listen to a preacher every Sunday. Y'all preach with him, don't you? It rains on everybody. The, the, the Bible says, man who is born of woman. It is, well, we got some scriptorians in this house. Is there, is there anybody here that was not born of woman? It's a messed up world we're living in. I mean, man, this world is, this world is like that guy running on that treadmill, I'm telling you. We got, I don't got time to get into it. But no one here was not born of woman. And man who is born of woman, help me, Scriptorians, is a few days, and those few days are filled with trouble. Who told you that trouble meant God didn't care for you? My, my life has been filled with trouble. Your pastor's life is filled with trouble. Everybody you know, that person you look at every Sunday morning across the pew and you think, boy, they couldn't serve God if they've been through what I threw. They got it easy. They were born with a silver. You don't know what they were born. You don't know what, you don't know what she's fighting with. Everybody's got trouble. Now, 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 my wife, she can tell you her favorite verse of the Bible. It don't matter what day of the week you talk to her, her favorite verse is the same. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Somebody say it. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your... You, now, you talk to me, I change my favorite verse every week. And this morning, you know what my favorite verse is? Isaiah 43. It said, listen, if you think trouble means he don't... I got to hurry. If you... I got trouble right now. If you think trouble means God don't have a plan for your life, you better listen to the word of the Lord in Isaiah 43. God speaking, fear not. I am with thee. Boy, that's enough, isn't it? I, I mean, I didn't even get to the PowerPoint. Man, I'd like to preach here more often. I mean, I just, I just... Isaiah 43 don't even tell you what it says. Woo, glory. Man, in the holy city, I got to quote 17 verses before I get them shouting. Y'all just on, on the nomenclature, just on the, on the where it's at, shouting glory. Genesis 7, 8, woo. I don't know if you're having fun, but I'm enjoying myself this morning. Isaiah 43, fear not, I am with thee, I've redeemed thee, I've called thee by name, thou art mine. So in that one verse, God said, I'm with you, I've redeemed you, I've called you, and I take ownership of you. Then he said, in the very next breath, when? Thou goest through the waters. Now, wait a minute, God. 
God, you just said, fear not because you're with me. You've redeemed me. You've called me my name and I'm yours. And now you've got to put me in the water. God, put me in the rose garden. Lord, put me in the spa. Lord, put me down at the hair salon. He said, when thou goest through the waters. Then I'm going to skip a verse. And the next thing he says is, when thou goest through the rivers. Then I'm going to skip a phrase. And the next thing he says is, when thou goest through the fire. So that means he can know you. He can love you. He can redeem you. He can own you. He can have plans and purposes for you. And waters, rivers, and fires will still be part of your life. His promise is not because he loves you, you'll never go through waters, rivers, and fires. Because now let me come back and quote the verse in its entirety and get what I skipped. He said, when thou goest through the waters, I will be with thee. When you go through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you go through the fire, you shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. The promise is not that the trouble won't come. The promise is when the trouble comes, he'll be with you and he'll be the anchor that holds. Oh! The plan of God. Well, Brother Lipsy, my life hadn't went the way I thought it would. Mine either. Hello. I thought I'd be further along by now. Me too. A man makes his plans in his heart. But the Lord, we got scriptorians all over the house. I'm doing the preaching. You listen. That's good preaching. She said, I'm sorry. You preach on. I'm glad you know the verse. Uh, you, you can't see something that appears bad and say, God doesn't love me. Because we make our plans, but God directs our path. My, my dad was killed tragically when I was 14 years old. Man, it messed my life up. It, it's not the way my life was supposed to go. It, it detoured me. Sent me into six years of severe drug addiction. For 300 days a year, I had a needle in my arm. You don't, you don't got to tell everybody you know, but you're being preached to today by a three-time convicted felon. Terrible. Beca because the enemy pushed my life in a direction that my parents and I didn't intend it to go for me. But, but can I tell you, had my dad not been killed when I was 14 years old, now listen, it, it caused some hell. It caused some trouble. It caused some heartache. It caused some tears in the Lipsy family. It caused some scars. But had that not happened, I, I would probably be running a brick crew today. My daddy was a 
bricklayer that had over 100 men that worked for him. He had a monopoly on the brick business just south of Dallas in Ellis County. If you laid brick in that county, you worked for him, and I would probably be running that construction business today. Now, I don't know if you've ever laid brick in the Texas summers, but there ain't nothing fun about it. It's 110 degrees, and bricklaying is some of the hardest work you've ever done in your life. What are you saying, Brother Lipsy? I'm saying when something bad happens, you can't just say God doesn't love me and God doesn't care because God may be steering your life in a different direction. Had my dad not died, I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't be a preacher. I wouldn't have my three children. I wouldn't be in West Virginia right now preaching to some of the best looking people I've ever seen in my life. What are you saying? I'm saying in the midst of tragedy, God still has a plan. I, I, wished, I wished I had more time to preach that to you, but let, 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 me, let me move on. You got to embrace the plan of God. You got to embrace the house of God. Do, do, do y'all normally get out right at 12? You asked me how I was doing with those 40-minute messages. Not, not near as good today as normal. Listen, listen. Anybody thankful for the house of God? Y'all, Pastor Albert said y'all had nine weeks in the pandemic where y'all didn't get to come in this building. Nine weeks when y'all couldn't shake each other's hand. Nine weeks when y'all couldn't hug each other's neck. When, when I first started preaching, I, n no church of gods would let me preach because I was, I was a 19-year-old kid fresh out of Teen Challenge. They didn't know what I'd say. There was a little oneness church in, in the town that I lived in. They had about 15 or 20 people. They were a oneness church, didn't believe in the Trinity, Jesus only. But because they were such a small church, they would let me come and preach. He just told me, you know, we, we got lots of common territory. Just don't step on my doctrine. And they were a great church that I would go and I would preach at. But I had one difficult with those oneness people the men still greeted the men with a holy kiss and I'd go in there to preach and one of those men would come to me and when I seen him coming I'd tell him Father, Son, and Holy Ghost get back <laughs> you, you, you hadn't been able to shake each other's hand you hadn't been able to hug each other's neck you, did, did anybody miss being in God's house when, when you were out of it you ought to be more thankful for God's house today than you've ever been you gotta come to church Just, just serve God out of convenience and be committed to this church out of convenience. You've got to be committed with everything that's in you. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord that I may dwell in his house all the days of my life. You, I, I, boy, I've got 20 minutes of preaching that I'm skipping. You've got to embrace the plan of God. You've got to embrace the house of God. I've got 20 minutes there. I'm, it's gone. You've got to embrace the man of God. You've got to embrace the man of God. So, so Korah said, we're all holy. Everybody does know what happened to Korah, don't you? Where's all my scriptorians? The earth opened up and swallowed him and his family. Don't, don't be like Korah. I don't want to be preaching down here in West Virginia and the earth opened up. If it's going to do it, I hope it gets the boy on the treadmill. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Nobody tell him I said that. Listen, you've you, you got to embrace the man of God. Now, if, 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 if you like Korah, 
have got the idea that says we're, we're all the same. Why should we honor the pastor? He's just like us. Listen to me. Maybe there are some hirelings in the world who do not have distinctives marking their life that separates a pastor from people. But you don't have a hireling as the leader of this house. You have a man of God. You have a woman of God. You have a ministry team who is worthy of double honor. If you were to ask me today, Pastor, why should we honor him and make a special day and give special gifts? Aren't we all the same? If, if, if you think we're all the same in this building, I, I'm going to... I'm going to share with you a few distinctives between you and your pastor. When he accepted the post as the pastor of this house, there were 13 people who worshiped here. They didn't have the mu you didn't have the music you got now. Did y'all enjoy that music this morning? Bless my soul. Now one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I wonder how many of those TV screens were in the, in the church when you came 21 years ago. He, he came when this church was not what it is today. Now, now, when he came to be the pastor of this church, I promise you this, they weren't lining up to come be the pastor of this church. Now, now if he left today, which he's not going anywhere, he loves his house. But if he left today, y'all have a list of people. Didn't want to come because this is a great matter of fact I might want to come this this is a great this is a great church to be at I mean I, I mean I mean my sister over there quotes the Bible with me this is good but when he came listen th there's a little story in the Bible that says this it, it says there was a Levite a priest and he was a priest to one man so in other words he was a pastor and he led one family the Bible said a tribe of 600 people came by that one man's house and they raided his house and started stealing things out of his house and the pastor said to them what are y'all doing stop stealing the stuff from my church and they said hey why are you here being the pastor of this one family there are 600 of us why don't you come go with us and be our pastor and listen to this the Bible said his heart was glad and he went with them I mean, now listen, you would make a pastor's heart glad today to get to come be a pastor of this church. But, but he came when very few people would have been willing to come. Listen, he didn't come traveling light. He picked me up at the airport yesterday. I had a suit on and a backpack. He said, you're traveling light, ain't you, preacher? He, he didn't come traveling light. You, you know how he traveled to get here? He pulled a mobile home behind him. 350 miles because there was no parsonage. I'm trying to tell you there is a distinction between this pastor and the people. He, did anybody else pull a mobile home to get here? Huh? Nobody else. Did anybody else drive 350 miles to get here? He, he drove 350 miles with a mobile home in tow to get here. Under his leadership, this church bought a parsonage because you did not have one. Under his leadership, 
in the third year of being the pastor, this church totally paid off the mortgage of the church. You ought to clap your hands and shout amen. In year five, they paid off that parsonage. Due to the growth of this church, he built a rec center in 2008. Is that where I preached the last time I was here? That was a phenomenal building that we preached in, and we had a wonderful meal in that, in that building. If I remember, it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. Yes, the land was locked because of where you were, but he didn't say, you know what? This is a bad place. Therefore, I'm not going to do anything good. He maximized the potential of that hill and that place and did everything he could do with it. And, and, and then you had a revival in 2017, and preachers prophesied that you was going to leave that place and go to a new location. A hireling would have said, I'm happy here. It's okay. It's okay. It's work to move. But a pastor said, no, 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 no. If the Lord said, let's move, then, then, then we got to get ready and we got to go. He, he found this building. He walked me through this place yesterday. He, he began to share with me the paint that took place, the remodel that took place. He showed me what it all looked like by going to the top floor after I saw this floor. Let me tell you something. I, I live in Cleveland, Tennessee. I am exposed to ministry after ministry after ministry, pastor after pastor after pastor. I sit on executive leadership teams, and I'm telling you today, that the pastor of this house has been the hardest working pastor in the church of God for the last three years. Now, there's not a pastor. I don't care if the church runs a thousand people. I, I, I'm telling you today, there is no, why don't you give this couple, come on, somebody tell them. They are the hardest working ministry couple, not just in West Virginia, but in the United States of America. And you hear me today. They are worthy of double honor. So here's the verse. Here's the verse that we're using. They that labor in the word and prayer are worthy of double honor. Does everyone agree that fits your pastor? It fits him. It fits him. Now, very quick, I know it's 12 o'clock, very quick. You, you can't outgive God. It's the law of the harvest. You reap what you, what you sow. And when a church gives to their pastor, it brings the favor of God on that congregation like nothing else. Well, Brother Lipsy, we pay them a good salary. That's good. I'm glad you do that. But on day, you got, you got one day a year. Well, you say, we're, we're going to make a difference in your life, Pastor. We're, we're going to bless you and help you significantly today. Let me, let, let me share one story with you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take an offering. When I first started pastoring, I was preaching in a, in, a, in a hotel room is where we started a church. We bought an old abandoned theater, and I was in a theater building in Floyd Lahan. Does anybody know who Floyd Lahan is? He's a famous old Church of God preacher, and he preaches in churches that run thousands of people all over the globe. And when my church was running 100, he would come and preach for me. And, and he came to my church, and he told me, he said, Pastor, I want to take an offering for you to go to Israel, you and your wife. He said, will you let me do that? I said, how much is that going to cost? I was a 21, 22-year-old kid. 
I said, how much is it going to cost for me and my wife to go to Israel? He said, $6,000. Listen, that little church that I was pastoring didn't bring $6,000 in in a month. And he wanted me to let him take an offering to get six. I said, Floyd, I know you're used to preaching in big churches that can do that. This church can't do that. I said, it's not that they don't love me. They love me. They just can't do that. He said, will you let me follow the leading of God? I said, I'd rather you not do it, but if God tells you to do it, you do it. He finished preaching that night. He told the church what he wanted to do. He said, I need $6,000. Who will give me $100? And people started popping up all over that building. And, and just in a matter of minutes, he raised about $3,000 on the floor. He said, who is a deacon? Where's some of the, of the leadership, a financial committee? My financial committee lifted their hand. He said, do y'all have $3,000 in the, in the church treasury? Will, will y'all give that? They said, yes, we'll give it. And in a matter of five minutes, he got that church to bless their pastor with a $6,000 trip to Israel. Now, now listen, listen. When we went to Israel, I sat down on the tour bus by a Church of God family from South Carolina. They were multi-millionaires. They fell in love with me and my wife. I, I went home from that trip. I'd been home about two weeks. I went to the mailbox, and there was a letter from them. And it said, we believe in you, we believe in your church, and we want to help you as you start this new work. And there was a check written out to my church for $5,000. Three weeks later, I went to the mailbox. There was another check from those people for $10,000. Not for me, for the church. Three weeks later, over the next five, six months, every three weeks, they would send checks of 3000 5000 7000 And that, that little church invested $6,000 in me. And over the next six months, got back ten times what they gave me. And it showed that church, if you will bless God's man, God will take care of of you and I want to tell you today I, he, he brags on you he has told me he's the most fortunate pastor in all the earth he's told me that you love him that you're good to him that you esteem him you bless him financially he is proud to be your pastor but I want to ask you today go above what you've ever done and show double honor if you think that would be a good idea, clap your hands and shout amen today. Here's what I want you to do. Here, here, so it, it is the custom of this house to give your pastor the offering that is taken today. Everything marked tithe goes to tithe, but everything that's not tithe goes to your pastor today. That's the custom of this house. They've got envelopes that, that normally are just at the desk, and I've pastored for 30 years if we just put them at the desk, you don't pick them up. You, you don't do anything with them. Here's what I want to tell you. If, if God has been good to you, I want you to help me today. Now, now, listen to me. Listen to me. Some of you will give out of sacrifice. But there are other people in this building that you can give not out of sacrifice, but out of abundance. Here's what the Bible says. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Do you understand what that means? Here's what it means. I'd rather be in a position 
where I'm able to give than to be in a position where I need to receive. And so I want to speak to a few of you that are in the position that you're able to give, and I want you to give extravagantly. There's several people here that can give $1,000 and never miss it. There, there, there are several people that can give $100 and never miss it. If God has been good to you, I want you to give the best offering you've ever given, and I want everybody to give something. Where's my ushers? Come here, ushers, quickly, 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 quickly. Come here. The preachers preach long. I need you to hurry. If, if you will help me and give something today, I want you to lift your hand. I'll let these, preachers, let these ushers come to you. If you're going to give something, lift your hand. Lift your hand. Pass, pass them out quickly. Pass them out. Hands are all over the house. If you're going to give something, we want you to put it in that offering. Well, I got them in the back. They're waving at me. They're Pentecostal even when they're giving money. Look at them. Woo! Pass them out. 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 We're going to wait on you. So one time a year we do this. Be patient. One time a year. One time a year. Stay with me. Stay with me. Huh? I know God's been good to you. You told, you told me you drive an hour and a half one way, but, 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 but your words were, but I make good money, I can't complain. I'm, I need a good offering out of you. Huh? I need a good offering out of you. you my, I had an uncle. We're, we're getting ready to finish. Stay with me. I had an uncle named Kenneth. He's, he, he's dead and gone to heaven. And he would... $1,000 was his honey stick offering. Any need that I presented to the church, he would always give $1,000. Somebody needs rent paid, he'll give $1,000. Somebody needs a, a roof fix. $1,000 was his number. He always gave it. And every time he would give me $1,000 and tell me to give it to a family, give it to a need, give it to somebody that's hurting, I would always say to him what I would say to anybody who gave that. I would say to my uncle, God's going to bless you for this. And every time I said that to him, he would say, no, sir. He's already blessed me and given me the ability to do it. I'm asking you today to do what God has already given you the ability to do. Let me tell you how impressed I am. With, with what your pastor has accomplished in this building. He, he not even my pastor. And I'm going to give $1,000 this morning. He not even my pastor. And, and I, I'm going to give $1,000 towards his offering. Listen to me. Don't, don't you let me give him more than you give him. He's your pastor. He preaches to you. He prays for you. God will bless you. Indeed. Father, I love you today. I thank you for the chance to preach to this house. I, Lord, forgive me for preaching so long. I didn't sleep good last night. Help me, Lord. God, God, God they have been so easy to preach to. 
But God, the purpose of this day is to make a significant investment in the man of God's life. And if I've not led them to do that, I failed. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts today. I pray that you would speak to everyone that has the ability to join me and giving their pastor $1,000 to do it. God, everyone that can't, to do what they can. God, I pray that you would speak to the leadership of this house and that they would fulfill this scripture and give double honor. Whatever they normally do from the storehouse, let them double that this morning. Beyond this offering. If they, if they normally give him a thousand, let them give him two. Because he is indeed worthy of double honor. And Lord, we don't give so we can get. But I pray today that every person that contributes to this offering would, would reap that which they've sown tenfold over quickly. I ask you to move mountains on their behalf. I ask you for supernatural miracles of provision to surround them. I rebuke the spirit of lack and I release the spirit of abundance to begin to flow in their lives. I bless their sons and their daughters. I bless their health. I bless their sleep. I bless the food that they eat. God, I invoke the holy name of Jesus and all of his promises over every life under the sound of my voice today. And I thank you for a church that honors their pastors with double honor. In Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Usher, do, do we have some music? Ushers, receive your morning offering. Where's my keyboard player? Come and help me just for a moment. Come and help me just for a moment. They're ready. Go get it. We didn't sneak up on them. We told them what we was going to do from the beginning. He's got plans for you. He's committed to the PKs. I've got three. Two boys and a girl. And I'm convinced that God is forever committed to the PKs. Lift both of your hands. Lift both of your hands. God, I ask you for your help. God, I can't think of a better way for you to bless the pastoral couple of this house today than by touching their son with a fresh anointing. God, I pray you breathe on him with the breath of heaven. God, I thank you that inside his heart and inside of his soul is the incorruptible seed of the word of the Lord that never returns void. And God, I pray that word would prosper. God, I pray that you would pick him up, that you would dust him off, and that you'd put him back in his place. Open doors that only you can open. Close doors that only you can close and make ways where there seem to be none. God, I bless this little mama to be 
God, I pray strength and peace and anointing and favor. God, I pray health during this pregnancy. God, I pray that this baby that's in a womb would be touched and called and blessed by you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, I invoke your blessings over this family. Rain down your grace and your mercy and your love. Would you stand to your feet and lift your hands to heaven and worship the glorious name of Jesus in this house? Come on, sing that little song of worship. Sing, sing that little song of worship. Let me bless you. Father, I pray you'd touch her. God, I pray that you'd grant her the desires of her heart. God, I pray that you would make all of her plans to prosper. God, I pray that you would touch this young man. God, with a fresh anointing on his life. God, I pray that you would do great and miraculous things for him. God, I pray that he would walk into an open heaven, that he'd be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, blessed when he goes in and blessed when he comes out. God, let your grace and your glory rule in the families of this house. God, give them the desires of their heart. God, let them be like trees that are planted by rivers of living water that bring forth their fruit in their season. Let their leaf not wither and let every Everything they do prosper. I pray that a brand new anointing of prosperity rest on you. I call a spirit of increase to you physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. Oh man of God, Runde Moseke Bobota Ribobo Sate Marande Bosi. May the God of heaven lick his finger. May the God of heaven turn the page of the book of your life and may the God of heaven pick up a pen and begin writing a brand new chapter I declare there's a new season coming I declare that there's supernatural help and assistance coming from the hand of God somebody lift your hands and love him somebody lift your hands and love him sing that song sing that little song of worship come on your name, your name, your name.